Welcome to our Lord's. Glad that you're here with us. Are we fortunate to have these people lead us in worship? Can we just, man, I'm grateful. Glad that you're here. And Sam, I've got a word for you. I just, I saw the Holy Spirit on you the whole time. Sam's back here in the drum area back here. I, did, I saw the Holy Spirit on you before the service this morning. All over, that whole thing was on fire. And I heard the Lord say that you're going to have your own personal Pentecost with him in the coming days, that he loves you. He has plans for you that you haven't even imagined and that it's plans to prosper you in so many ways. I know you've got business success, and these, but the Lord has some kingdom purposes that he's going to unfold for you. And I, I feel an ache, a hunger in you, and it's coming, brother. So, Lord, we bless him and we pray for a personal Pentecost in the coming days. Bless you, Sam. Thanks for playing drums for us, too. So we are glad that you're here with us this morning. We're a community of worship and formation on mission with the Lord Jesus. And this is one thing we do. We gather together like a bunch of burning logs on Sundays. We come together in a big bonfire so that we can go and burn during the week. Wherever we are, we carry the presence of the King, the presence of the kingdom, the fire of the gospel. And so we meet on Sundays. We also meet during the week in groups and we have six groups that meet over the summer, and you can learn more about this on our website. And then in the fall, we usually have uh, 30 groups or more, and these groups entail everything from studying the scriptures together to exercising together to you fill in the blanks. Some are groups conducive for inviting newcomers, friends, you can come, and we've got a movie watching group, so all kinds of things, you can learn more about that. Before we look at fasting, part two, I've asked Wes Matthew to come up here. Wes gave him about five minutes to prepare this morning. He and I had a conversation this week. Actually, we walked around the sanctuary, which is what I like to do during the week in some of my meetings, so we probably walked a good two or three miles in here, didn't we? We were stopping and taking sips. But in our conversation, Wes, um, you were talking to me about what you've been up to with uh, international student ministry, and you were talking about sharing the gospel with some of these international students, uh, Hindus in particular. Will you just share a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I've, been, I've been going to uh, UCL and um, sharing with international students. So these are a lot of people um, primarily from India and Southeast Asia that have come here for school and um, they don't know anything about Christianity at all. Um, a lot of them are Hindus, so um, they believe in a lot of different gods and um, they have idols of gods. And um, so it's been an interesting time of just uh, being able to share the gospel with them and um, really impact them a lot. So that, you know, Whenever we talk about, um, like, I, I'll just go over there and get together with them and just hang out with them, and we get to talk about afterlife, um, what does that look like, especially with the coronavirus going on, you know, afterlife's a big, big deal right now, so, and things that they would have never thought about during this time, and so um, we get to talk about afterlife, and I ask them, you know, what does that look like, and they say, well, from what we know about Hinduism, you know, it's reincarnation. Um, you do good, and then uh, if, it, if you do good this life, in the next life you are also leading a good life. And um, I say, well, that's, that sounds like a lot of work to, 
try to keep that up constantly and constantly. It's like you're always sacrificing things to do that. Um, and then I say, let me tell you what Christianity is, and I share the gospel with them, and it just goes such a long way. And they say, you know, what's different about Christianity than the, all these other gods that they worship is it's a relationship, and it's all about love. So, and, and that's what, whenever I talk to these students, that's what they really want. They just want a relationship. Uh, there's broken relationships in their past, um, and there's a lack of love. And so you can see the inherent need for Jesus, you know. So this is why it's so important to share the gospel so, so strongly to these people, and they want it, and they love it. We're going to pray for you in a minute. Wes was sharing with me that he's a, the Holy Spirit Uber, that he goes and picks them up at the airport, and he's the first person they get to meet. So what I want us to do, I want us to extend our hands and pray for what God is doing in Wes and his family in this ministry. So Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Matthew family. And we just ask for increased anointing and empowerment and furtherance of the gospel on these college campuses. And Lord, I pray you would visit in great power that you would break through and save and rescue these students as you bring them and that you would raise them up to go and plant churches in their countries. And as Todd read this morning, the nations are the inheritance of Jesus. So we thank you that Wes is, is part of that. Wes and Sarah are part of bringing the gospel to the nations right here on our own soil. So bless him, anoint him, and fill them with courage, the power of the gospel. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. All right. So we're glad you're here with us, and we've been talking about spiritual exercises, spiritual practices that sustain life with God. And we've been talking about how these things um, are weapons, really. So interacting with God through scripture, prayer, fasting. We looked at fasting last week. These are weapons of righteousness, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 6. And we've also been reiterating that we are an army of the Lord's love. We're not an audience. Amen? Christianity is not a spectator sport. Do you hear me? Christianity is not a spectator sport. Everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to contribute. You have gifts of God in you that are meant to build up the church and to win the lost. To build up the church and to save the lost. And so really what we're looking at, these spiritual practices, aren't really kind of privatized and it's about God and me. Really, it's about you being in the army and connecting with God through the scriptures, through prayer, through fasting, so that you can go out and be on mission with him. So today, what I want us to look at are the fruits of fasting. And we're really going to focus on five. There's eight of them. But we're going to look at five, and I'm going to just mention the last three, but we're going to focus on five results, outcomes, fruits of fasting. And the first one's going to be in Ezra 8, so you can look there. We'll have it on the slide. If you don't have your Bible, you can look it up on your phone if you'd like. But before we look at these 
results or fruits of fasting. Last week, we looked at the reasons for fasting. I want to just make a few preliminary comments. I mentioned last week, if you remember, I was going to make some practical suggestions about fasting. Our, our source is Scripture. That is the best book to learn from about fasting, but there's also contemporary experience so we can speak into and flesh some things out. And the first thing I want to make a comment about is that some of us should not fast. Well, Brock, isn't that contradicting what you're talking about? I'm encouraging us to fast, but at the same time, as a pastor, I'm saying some of us should not fast. You should not fast from food. And I mentioned last week, there are various reasons for this. You might have medical reasons. You're taking certain medications that don't allow you to skip meals. Be free in God's grace. There are other ways to press into God. And if you're not able to do it for medical reasons, then be freed up. We're going to talk about creative ideas, alternatives to fasting from food. Another reason to not fast might be a health reason, specifically eating disorders. I mentioned that. You may have a sickness that doesn't allow you for blood sugar, sugar level reasons or something. You should not fast. And so in this context, I want to make sure that we're thorough. We talked about doing fasting that was biblical. And what was the other thing we talked about? Moderate. So if you're going to fast, we do it according to the scriptures and we do it according to moderation, but some of us shouldn't do it. I got some messages from people that said, thank you so much for acknowledging eating disorders in this context. Anorexia, bulimia, it might not be a good idea to engage in fasting at all. It might trigger something. So what you can do is say, Lord, I'm working through this. I'm in process. What other things can I do? to press in to you besides fasting. Another reason to not fast might be work. You might have a rigorous job, and if you're in construction, you're on a roof in the heat of the day and you haven't eaten, it might not be a good idea to fast. So do you hear me? I just want everyone to be completely freed up before God. We're not putting anything on anyone. We're inviting people to fast if it's wise, if it's biblical, if it's moderate. All right? And I mentioned this, another preliminary comment, creative alternatives. I was teaching a course at Wesleyan back in the day, about nine years ago, and some of my students that were taking this course on the Desert Fathers, we talked about fasting. And some of them had amazing ideas. Some of them had medical health disorders, and they weren't able to fast. So I said, what are some things that you would like to do? Because we were doing some fasting during the semester, and some of them came up with these ideas. I'm going to fast from chocolate. And one of them laughed hysterically. She said, you have no idea how painful that is. I'm going to fast from chocolate for the next month. Another piped in and said, I'm going to give up my favorite dessert. Another said, I'm giving up social media for the semester. And everyone looked at her and said, whoa, that's pretty, that makes me very uncomfortable. Someone else said, I'm going to fast from negativity. And we said, explain what that is. And she said, I am going 
to ask God to help me when a negative thought comes, to not dwell on it, and then to not speak negative words, and to be mindful, and I want to fast from negativity. And this is why I love the classroom so much. I was learning from my students. And so I invite you into creative alternatives. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and show you how you might fast in different ways. One last comment here before we look at the scriptures. Take the long view in this. Some of us have gotten out of shape at different times in our life. And if you were to just wake up tomorrow morning and go and try to run 10 miles, how would it go? For most of us, it would not go well. It's better to maybe walk around the block. And if you want to run, to maybe run 100 yards, ease into it. So it is with fasting. Take the long view and say, Jesus, I, do, I want to be a faster. I want to fast and pray but I want to do it wisely. I don't want to burn out. I want to treat my body with respect. I remember one time I was, this was about 30 years ago, and I was learning some things about fasting, and I had an image in my mind, and I didn't know what it meant. I saw this pendulum, and this pendulum was going like this, and it was scraping a little tiny layer of dirt each time that it went back and forth, it was oscillating like this, and it would just scrape off a little layer, a little layer, and I was puzzling over this, and I said, Lord, what is this? And he said, this is what fasting does. And I said, I don't understand. And so this image in my mind, this vision panned back, and I saw a well that had been dug through this gentle movement of the pendulum. And over years, the Lord was showing me that if you will engage in wise, biblical, moderate fasting, that he will dig a well inside of you, a private history with him. Now, you could take a shovel or a backhoe and dig in there and say, well, I'm going to do a you know, 21-day fast or a 40-day fast. And the Lord may call certain people to those moments, but I'm inviting us into fasting over the long haul that wise, moderate fast. John Cashin, I mentioned him, one of the Desert Fathers, said after decades of fasting, over 40 years of fasting in his own personal life, he said, I encourage those that I teach to skip a meal or two once per week rather than engage in long, arduous fasts. So, again, some of you are experienced in fasting and prayer, and you can do what the Lord's leading you into, but I want to invite us into steps like that. If you're able to, skip a meal or two. That's what I've been doing. I have some digestive issues, and frankly, much of it is because I did some stupid fasting back in the day, and I would rack my system in ways that weren't wise. So, you could skip a meal, skip breakfast. Amanda and I will do this, skip breakfast, skip lunch, and then eat a meal at night so your system is not shocked. Okay, so let's look at the scriptures. Those are some preliminary remarks, and we'll look at some other practical suggestions. Is that helpful to hear that a little? Some of you are saying, well, I've been fasting for years. You know what, though? There's always something new to learn. Always something new. 
And frankly, it might be that if you're an experienced faster, the Lord is saying, I want you to teach other people to pray and fast. I want you to mentor and disciple people in spiritual exercises like this. So fruits of fasting, results of fasting, Ezra 8.21. We've got it on a slide here. We mentioned Ezra before. This is the first fruit of fasting is that it cultivates humility and dependence. We looked at this passage in Ezra last week, and we saw that Ezra and other Jews were returning from Babylon, and they were preparing to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And look what the text says. They're proclaiming a fast, and Ezra explains that he called the fast. Why? 821 says, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask God for a safe journey for us and for our children with our possessions. So the scriptures teach, beginning with the Hebrew Bible, that one fruit of fasting is that it cultivates humility and a sense of dependence. So Ezra and the other people were saying, Lord, we need you. We're humbling ourselves with prayer, with fasting, and we're asking for you to give us safe journey. Bless us as we move forward in your purposes. Quickly here, another verse, Psalm 35, 13, talks about King David and his use of fasting to humble himself. Psalm 35, 13 says this, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. And the context of this is King David has his opponents attacking him, coming against him, trying to end his life. And so he reaches out to God in an act of humility and says, Lord, I'm fasting. I'm desperate. I need your help. I'm dependent on you. And in light of what's going on, friends, right now in 2020, is now a time to press in to prayer and fasting possibly for us. Now is a time to humble ourselves before God. Second Chronicles 7, 14 talks about it. Humble ourselves before the Lord. Seek his face. Repent. Turn from our wicked ways. Seek the Lord. A second fruit of fasting is that it gives more attention to prayer. Because we're not spending time when we fast, we're not spending the normal time to acquiring or preparing or eating food, we have extra time to pray. One of my favorite guys here, and I've got a slide if you want to put that up there of the dude over on the left, that's Brother Lawrence, and he's a 7th century French monk, and you can see what he's doing there serving food. And this brother knew what it meant to fast and pray and give time and attention to God. And so he learned, he was frustrated in his prayer life. And he said, Lord, I have to cook and serve my fellow monks all the time. And the Lord taught him how to practice the presence of God. And so he began to walk in this reality while he prepared food, while he cooked, while he served others, he prayed. He used arrow prayers. He prayed. He communed with the Lord so that work became a time where he could commune with the Lord 
nonstop. What I would encourage you to do, if you want to move into fasting some or maybe experience some new insights, craft particular prayers. I put one up here that is one of my favorite, John 4, 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Brother Lawrence and others, while they were preparing food and fasting, they would pray, Father, my food is to do your will. Father, my food is communion with you. Father, my food is prayer. My food is friendship with you. And so if you sprinkle that through your day, as you're fasting and praying, fire begins to burn. And again, we're taking the long view. I'm not talking about doing this for a week or a month, but just imagine if we gave ourselves to this afresh with that long view, years of doing this, however the Lord sees fit to lead you, practicing his presence, giving more attention to prayer, to practicing his presence. A third fruit or outcome of fasting is self-discipline. And again, I just want to pause here for a moment. We mentioned last week that just to hear the word fast, it's a four-letter word, right? F-A-S-T. Some of us have just been burned by fasting or we've had heavy yokes laid on us. Friends, this is an invitation into the grace of God, the love of God. God does not need us to fast. We looked at that last week, didn't we? Does God need anything from us? So this notion that God needs us to skip food so that he can do something. No, this is for our sake. This is to position us and posture us to clear our minds. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 26, speaking about self-discipline that comes through prayer and fasting, he takes a word picture from the ancient world and he says this, Do you not know that in a race, the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we have an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air. So what Paul is saying here is that Athletes are willing to give up certain things in order to train, in order to cultivate self-discipline. This text is saying, really, if you want to go up and grow up, you've got to give up some things. Now, working out for most of us is not fun. Amen? If I get one amen this morning, working out is difficult. You feel the burn while the older I get, I feel the burn. It used to just be in my calves or my, it's now a body burn. I mean, the whole thing is burning. So really, fasting cultivates a spiritual burn. There's no other way. Your muscles, your spiritual muscles are going to burn at times. So be wise about it. The word athlete actually is the word related to ascesis which is asceticism. So some of you have heard that word ascetic. Monks and nuns are ascetics. Let's say that together, ascetic. Ascet not aesthetic, aesthetic is beauty. Ascetic is a spiritual athlete. 
precisely what Paul is talking about here. And Jesus calls us into discipleship to be spiritual athletes. And so there are certain things that we're going to have to forego, that we're going to give up and relinquish because we're in a race and we're in pursuit of him and we're filled with his presence and power. And so we want to be athletes who are self-disciplined. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that if I can say no to food, and if I do this this week, it's usually on a Tuesday, if I say no to food once or twice on a Tuesday, that I can say no to sin as well. There's a training of the will. Do you hear me on that? Some of you are going, yes, that's exactly. So if I learn through my body and my spirit working together to say, Lord, I'm foregoing this and I'm turning to you so I can seek you and pray and my food is to do your will, then I find when temptation comes my way or anger, whatever it is, I am more inclined to turn from that and turn to Jesus for his strength. So self-discipline is a huge fruit. I want to read this quote. It is beautiful, and I'm reading quotes from great fasters in Christian history. This guy, his name is Basil, and he was from Caesarea, modern-day Turkey. And listen to what he says. I love this. He's writing 400 years after Christ. Fasting gives birth to prophets and strengthens the powerful. Fasting makes lawgivers wise. Fasting is a safeguard for the soul, a steadfast companion for the body. And listen to what he says. Fasting is a gymnasium for spiritual athletes. Fasting repels temptations and anoints us to love and piety. Fasting is the comrade of watchfulness. In war, fasting fights bravely, and it teaches stillness before God. So self-discipline is another fruit of fasting. Fourth, a fourth result or outcome. How are we doing? Doing all right? Fasting. Let me just ask here for a moment. How many of you are doing some fasting? Maybe you haven't done it before, or maybe you're kind of dusting off fasting. Let me just see. Some of you doing some? I've been communicating. I want to see more hands up in the future. I've been praying privately, Lord, let me just say, release a spirit of prayer and fasting among us. You've got to do this in an age where we gluttonize pretty easily, in an age where we're stimulated constantly. I want to invite you into a place of making space for God. Frankly, if I can be really direct, some of you need to fast from this in some ways. So forget food fast from this. I feel some unction on this. Set it aside. Set it down. Say, Lord, for this next week, I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to use this only for this purpose. Getting lost in social media. Friends, you can drift from God. You can drift from your family. We have a guideline. This thing does not get used around a table. If we're eating or conversing, this thing is gone some of you need to do that. You can have a table fast. No more of this. We go into those places and we see a whole family sitting around the table doing this. Friends, it's not healthy. Fast. Or if you're alone and you burn four hours on this, 
try fasting from it a little bit. Does that feel heavy or is that okay if I challenge you to do that? You will be shocked if you fast a little bit from this. Man, you talk about a deeper well in your inner life. You talk about richer connection with people. You talk about awareness like Wes has of people around you that need the gospel. It'll change your life if you'll do that for a few months. And again, I'm not laying any legalism on you. I'm inviting you. How bad do you want friendship with the Lord? How bad do you want power to share the gospel with people? That's what this is about. So a fourth thing, very quickly here, is fasting heightens alertness. It's important to recognize this. When you begin to fast, there is a sensitivity that can begin to emerge. You can be sensitive to yourself. You can have some stuff crop up in your heart because there's not food or whatever else there to medicate. And so don't be surprised, friends, if some things crop up. And again, we turn to the Lord. Lord, I didn't realize that was inside. And when you fast, physiologically, some toxins come out. Medical doctors show us that. Well, it's the same spiritually. Toxins can come out. So it heightens a sense of alertness. There's a wonderful article by a guy named Dr. Mark Matson. I think what I'm going to do, I've actually written a chapter on fasting, and I'll make it available online because it references this, but he's at John Hopskin, Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, and he talks about the medical benefits of fasting. So a fifth fruit of fasting is that it increases spiritual strength. And I want to spend a moment on this, and then I'll mention the others, and we'll, we'll be done. So a fifth fruit of fasting is that it increases spiritual strength. Look at Luke 4. Luke 4, 1 to 2. And verse 14, the greatest faster and prayer who ever lived, the Lord Jesus, models this. Fasting increases spiritual strength. I'm going to point out two things. The first is in Luke 4. Jesus, as we know from the context here in Luke 4, and Matthew 4 is another rendition of it. He's led into the desert, and he's going to have a showdown with Satan himself. And it's going to be really the beginning of his messianic ministry. And so the enemy comes, and Christ fasts for 40 days, and he's in the desert seeking the Father and combating the evil one. And we saw that he counterspeaks to the enemy. But in this place of fasting and prayer, look what it says, Luke 4, 1 and 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. And then look what it says at verse 14. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, returned to Galilee. So the text is showing us here there is an intrinsic connection between Fasting and spiritual power. Look at Mark 9. This one is fascinating and puzzling at the same time. Look at Mark 9, verse 29. Looking at how fasting and prayer increase spiritual strength. 
in this text here, Jesus is with his disciples, and there's a young man who is so severely demonized. He's oppressed by demons, and he's foaming at the mouth, and he's having convulsions, and the demons are throwing him into the fire. His life is wrecked and ruined, and the disciples have been trying to bring deliverance and set him free, and they can't. And so they bring him to Jesus, and Jesus speaks the word. Be gone. And the young man is set free through the power of the word of Jesus. And the disciples go, hey, Jesus, how'd you do that? We've been laboring. We've been working at it. How did you do it so effortlessly? And look what Jesus says at verse 29. This kind of evil spirit can come out only by prayer. And many, if you look at your Bible, anybody have your Bible, you can look at the footnote there. It should have a little textual reference that says what? And fasting. So without going into it, we have thousands of ancient manuscripts because the preservation of the Word of God was stunning, amazing. And in some of those manuscripts, it says prayer and fasting. So regardless of whether or not that was intended to be in the original text, the manuscript, we know that Jesus fasted and prayed and that it increased his spiritual power. We're seeing it right here. He's showing us a secret here. If you pray and fast, there is something. It creates some capacity for a release of power to flow through you. I'm just thinking of Muslims. Muslims, some of you know, Ramadan is 30 days, right? To be a Muslim means that you fast 30 days out of the year. Friends, there's a spiritual power that's released in that. It's a mystery. And so as Christians, we want to tap in regularly. Do you want to tap in to some increased spiritual power and strength? I certainly do. So I'm saying, Lord, teach me afresh in new ways. I want, to, I want to cast demons out of people. I want to see you bring deliverance. I want you to set me free in new ways. I don't have to earn it, but I see that the scriptures talk about prayer and fasting. These last three, just going to mention them, not even going to look at the scriptures. You can flash them up there, and then you can look at them, or you can look at it later online. A sixth outcome is that Fasting expresses earnestness and urgency. We saw that earlier in some of those texts. You're basically saying, I'm willing to lay down my life in this. It's so urgent. It's so serious. And I want it to be fired with earnestness and urgency. A seventh. This is very intriguing. I mentioned Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 talks about a fruit of fasting is that we can actually engage in ministry to the poor. Some of us don't make that connection, but the food that you would be eating could be given to someone else. The money that you would use to eat, to feed yourself, to feed your family, feed your loved ones, could actually be donated to the poor. So fasting has many facets. And then finally, a fruit of fasting is that it opens the door to receive the Father's rewards. You can see this in Matthew 6, 
the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says that the Father sees in secret when we fast and pray, and he'll reward us. So these are eight results or fruits of fasting. And again, I invite you into this if you're able, if you're willing. And friends, God is preparing us for what's ahead. We're going to become people of prayer and fasting and these other spiritual exercises in ways. And you know what? It may have been an option in the past, but where we're going in the future, it's not an option. It's not. What do you mean, Brock? I mean Babylon is rising, friends. Babylon is emerging. You are not in Kansas anymore. You're not whether you want to be or not. And we can't rewind time. The enemy's kingdom is emerging, and so it's wake-up time. It's a time to pray, to fast, to go deep in community and friendship with one another, to ask the Lord to use you to bring the gospel to people wherever you are, at work, in school, wherever it might be. It is a time to devote ourselves to these things. And I don't want to alarm anyone, but I want to sound the alarm that we're going to be the Lord's army in the coming days. People of the scriptures, people of prayer, people of fasting, and we're going to wreak havoc on the enemy's camp. We're going to keep our eyes on Jesus. It's all about him. It's not about spiritual warfare, prayer, and fasting. It's about him and his name and his fame but it's, it's time to get serious about this. Amen? So Jesus, I thank you that you, life with you, there's an easy yoke. So I ask for the easy yoke of prayer and fasting to be upon us. Fill us with grace and power and mercy in the coming days that we might seek the Father. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.